What's up? Welcome to age 12. Dude, I'm just going to tell you guys right now. Can I, just be, can I just be honest with you? Dude, that song, that last song we just did, that's like my favorite jam right now. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? I mean, there is no more higher, no one greater. Come on. People are like, if it's your first time, I'm sorry, I'm weird, it's all right, get over it. We all are. And, uh, well, hey, we want to welcome you out to H12 tonight. And listen, tonight is an exciting night because we are about to adventure on a new series beginning tonight called The Party. And this series is going to be, uh, go over the next four weeks, and it's going to culminate at the end with this gigantic, massive, unbelievable black tie event party with a red carpet being rolled out down the thing, limos and all this kind of stuff. And you're going to come dressed to the nine on that night. We're going to have some delicious high-end hors d'oeuvres for you for that night. It is just going to be a party. It's going to be awesome. And so you get pumped about it because it's going to be great. And the reason... The reason we decided to do a series called The Party is because Jesus loved to party. I mean, he just loved to party. It's just the reality. The first miracle that Jesus does is at a party. All throughout his, all throughout his ministry, following many of his miracles, he was around parties. He was doing things with people and at parties. I mean, he was partying all the time. And the Bible tells us that when we die that our spirit, our soul goes to heaven, that we get new bodies and we get to partay forever in heaven with God. It's pretty awesome. And so we decided to do a series called The Party. Now, this, ser this series called The Party really focuses on uh, uh, several different things. The first thing it focuses on is the invitation. The invitation. See, in order to go to a party, you got to be invited to a party. And the reality is, is that God has given us an invitation through his son, Jesus. God has provided access. All right, just so you guys know, when the God's word is being opened and the message is being talked about, we pay attention. Because I believe that God has something that he wants to speak to you tonight through his word. And I don't care if you don't pay attention, but I do care when you distract the people around you. And so for tonight, if we can just lay that out up front, this normally isn't a problem. There's a lot of moving around and talking and phones and all this kind of stuff. I believe God has something he wants to say to you tonight. So let's pay attention. And so God invites us into this invitation so that we can have access to him through his son, Jesus Christ. This is so important. We talked about this last week. In fact, last week, an unbelievable night at our back-to-school bash where God honored many of your prayers, friends that you've been praying for for months, for some of you may even years, God honored your prayers. Last week, we saw 708 of your friends and people here, and we saw 117 people give their life to Jesus for the first time. That is a celebration. That is a party. That is a party, and God invites us into this party that we can have with him. Also, this series is going to focus on the promises. We're going to talk a little bit about the promises of God tonight. That God gives us promises in his word, many promises in his word, that we as believers, as followers of Christ, get to claim, get, to, that get to, to hold on to and hang on to. And this affects the way we live. It affects the way we pray. It affects everything in our life. We're also going to talk a little bit about preparation. Because you've got to prepare for the party. You know what I'm saying? Gotta get all pretty and put on your little pretty dress, all your little pretty makeup. I don't put on dress and makeup. I'm just for the record. I'm gonna wear a, a suit and tie. And uh, but you gotta get all dressed up. You gotta prepare for the party. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure out how you're gonna get there. You gotta get all your friends together. You gotta come to the party. And so, so there's a preparation time. And then the last week we're gonna have the party. 
and the party is going to be awesome. Now, um, let me just go back. I want to back up because I think that this series really branches off, really is a bookend, that, a start of a book that last week began uh, with the Back to School Bash. And so I want to set up a little bit about what we talked about last week, put it on the board real fast, and then I want to dive in so that you can kind of see where we're going because this will help this make sense. And so last week, we talked about the fact that there is two kingdoms in this world, and you were a part of one of these kingdoms. You were either a part of the kingdom of the world, or you were a part of the kingdom of heaven. And there is only, you are in one of these kingdoms or in the other. And the reality is that between these two kingdoms is separation. There is separation between these two kingdoms. And so those that are in the kingdom of the world are separated from the kingdom of heaven. They don't get to participate in the kingdom of heaven. They don't have any part in the kingdom of heaven and part of any of the promises of the kingdom of heaven, any of that kind of stuff. And what we talked about last week was is that every person finds themselves in the kingdom of the world. Every person does. And the kingdom of the world sits on the throne of pride. It sits on the throne of pride. And so inside of the kingdom of the world are all these smaller kingdoms that we call the kingdom of me. We all have a kingdom that we're trying to build. We all want to be popular. We all want to be successful. We all want to rise to the top. It's all about us. It's all about us being the God of our life. Listen, that is the reason for many of us we have such a difficult time submitting to the authority of God because we don't want anyone to be an authority over us. We want to be the authority of our own life. And that's why our life begins to crumble in our hands. And so there's this kingdom of the world. And we talked about last week how the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world are at odds with one another. They're not only at odds with one another, but they're opposite of one another. The things in the kingdom of the world, the patterns of the world, are different than the patterns of heaven. And they're many times opposite. They're reversed. They're flipped. And that's the reason in Romans 12, the Bible says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the Bible tells us that the world, the kingdom of the world, leads to death. But the kingdom of heaven leads to life, eternal life. And so because of this separation, we do not just physically die and are physically separated from God and physically go on the ground, but we are spiritually separated from God forever, for all eternity. But God loved us so much that he did not lead us, leave us in that condition. And so the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, 17, and 18, which we discussed last week, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is this offer of eternal life. And so you are now then placed into the kingdom of heaven, to the family of God. You are no longer called children of the world. In the Bible, you are now called children of God. Your identity has changed. The Bible said if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All throughout scripture, we see this idea that there is a change that happens happens in your life. You have been transformed. You have been moved from death to life. And I close by the quote by Ravi Zacharias, which says that Jesus did not die on the cross to make bad people good. Jesus died on the cross to make dead people alive. Because the reality is, is that apart from Jesus, apart from being a part of the kingdom of heaven, you are separated from God and you're spiritually dead. And Jesus came to rescue us. So that we could have access through the invitation of the sacrifice of his son. He took our sin, died in our place so that we could be restored to God. So that we can be placed under the kingdom of God. 
and he is the only way to God. The Bible tells us that Jesus answered and says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way to God. He is the only one who has paid the penalty for your sin. No one else has. No other religion in the world has. Nothing has done that for you, only Jesus. And so this is baseline before we get into this conversation because this series is very much kingdom-oriented. And the question and, and that I think is posed for all of us is how do we live a, a God-centered, a kingdom-centered life, and how do we influence others to leave, lead a kingdom-centered life? Well, I think it starts with the promises of God. And understanding the promises of God and the fact that, that God has all these promises in the Bible for us. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been promised anything before. How many of y'all been promised somebody? God, somebody's promised you something before? And, and, and you know how painful it is when somebody promised you something, they don't follow through. That ever happened to you? Somebody promised you something, and they didn't follow through, and you're like, man, I'm going to punch them in the neck. You know what I'm saying? That's what I do. I just punch people in the neck. You break a problem, punch no, I'm just kidding. And uh, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Um, love your enemies. And, uh, and what happens is, is that is that when we get promised something like, it makes us feel important. That someone would trust us with this promise. It makes us feel valued. It makes us feel special that someone would make a promise to us. Like, I'll never forget the second greatest day of my life after the day that I gave my life to Jesus was the day that I got married. And I'll never forget... Oh. <laughs> and I'll never forget standing there. Actually, I was on this side. Standing there, and my, my, my beautiful bride, Megan, was standing in front of me. And, and we're looking at each other in the eyes, and, and, um, and, and she, she began to make these promises to me, you know? I mean, let me recap the moment. We're, we're sitting there, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and she says, um, Derek... I promise to be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, make you a sandwich anytime you want it. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. Y'all are like, what? She said, what? <laughs> Chill. And, uh, but she looked, at, she looked at me in the eye and she began to say, she began to say um, I will love you and I will cherish you in sickness and in health. That no matter if I was sick, no matter what happened to me physically, whether I was healthy or unhealthy, that she would love me unconditionally. She was making a promise to me. She's looking at my eyes, and I, I was literally melting. For, for richer or for poorer, and trust me, I'm a pastor. It is for poorer. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then she said, and then she says, for better or for worse. Let me, let me tell you, that is the line that gets missed in marriage, for better or for worse. Like, what is worse anyway? Worse is as bad as you can even think about it. Worse is worse. When I sit in front of a couple, we're talking about things, and they're talking about their marriage falling apart, and I say to them, hey, hey, for, for better or for worse, did you guys not say that? Well, I didn't realize that worse meant this. No, worse means worse until death do us part. And I remember her saying those words to me and looking at me in the eye, and I'm looking back at her in the eye, and listen, I felt special. I felt valued. I felt important. And listen, I trust her. I trust her with my heart. I trust her with my life. And you know, when I look at the promises of God, there's two things that happen. Number one, I feel special. 
Because I know that God in heaven, who loves me so much, is making these promises to me. And they're not empty promises because I can trust him. Because I've seen his promises come true over and over and over again. And so I can trust the promises that he gives me. I don't have to worry about if he's pulling a bait and switch on me. I don't worry, have to worry about if he's breaking promises because he's been so true to all the promises that he's laid out in my life before. And the second thing is, is that his promises shape the way I live and they shape the way I pray. See, when you know the promises of God and you're going through a difficult situation in your life and you're going through a painful time in your life, man, you can hang on to the scriptures and you can hang on to passages of scripture and know that God is there for you. That God can be there. It changes the way you live. You almost feel invincible. When you're being tempted by things, you say, hey, man, I know that I have the confidence in the power of God living in me because he tells me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He promises me in the word that he will not tempt me beyond what I can handle, beyond what he can help accomplish and give me victory through as he's working in me. Like, I know that. I can claim that promise. So when temptation comes my way, I don't have confidence in myself, but I have confidence in the promises of God that he is going to help get me victory over that in my life. And it changes the way I pray, man. When I'm praying, often I pray the promises of God. God, you say this in your word. God, you tell me that if I remain in you and you remain in me, that I'll ask whatever I wish and it'll be given unto me. God, you tell me in your word to pray without ceasing. You tell me that if I ask, it will be given to me. You tell me that if I delight myself in you, you will give me the desires of your heart. And God, I want you to give me the desires of my heart. God, place your desires in me. God, I want those desires. I want to delight myself in you so you can give me your desires. So I don't live for my desires anymore. I live for yours. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you pray. And the reality is that God doesn't just give us a few promises. Listen, God gives us over 30,000 promises in the Bible. Over 30,000. See, a lot of times our faith is defeated because we don't know the promises of God. And the reason we don't know the promises of God is because we're not in God's word and we haven't read his promises. You take 30,000 promises, man, that is multiple promises on the pages of every page of your Bible that God promises you as a child, as a person who's been placed in the kingdom of heaven. This is what you get to get access to as a believer. See, you think that I'm losing my life by giving up my control, but we gain when we surrender. When we surrender our kingdom to his kingdom, we don't lose. We actually actually gain we get to gain the kingdom of heaven but we also get to gain the promises of God through Jesus dude that's pretty amazing and there are several promises I want to talk to you guys about tonight but I'm, I'm just going to talk about one and before I get into that let me, let me just read this to you I just it's so good 2nd Corinthians 1:20 says this for no matter how many promises God has made 30,000 plus they, listen, they are yes in Jesus. They are yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Listen to this, guaranteeing what is to come. It is a guarantee. You can count on it, put a stamp on it. God is going to come through. Every promise that he has given is a yes, a guarantee to you. A guarantee. We can trust his promises. 
So the promise I want to talk about tonight, and I really want to dive in for a minute, is the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. Titus 1-2 says this. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Listen to this. He says, God who cannot lie, so we can trust him, that God has promised us this hope of eternal life. A hope of eternal life. What does that mean? What does hope mean? Hope means confident expectation of the future. It is this confident expectation that we can have hope. I was just at a funeral earlier today. I did a funeral tonight at 4 o'clock. Rushed back here to get ready for this. And you know, as, I'm, as the casket's in front of me and I'm doing the service for Scott, who's a student that just graduated from Collins Hill High School, 18 years old, and hundreds of people are filling this room, and I'm up there sharing one thing that just kept sticking out in my head is, is that if there is, no, if there is no this so that we can have this, if there is no hope of eternal life, there is no hope at all. There is no hope at all. There is no hope that anyone in that room would ever see Scott again or you or anybody else who dies. There is no hope for us to ever see Jesus or any of that kind of stuff. When you say there is no God, you are saying there is no hope. That what this world offers is the best it's ever going to get. And that's just not true. There is no hope apart from Christ. And we have this hope of eternal life. Have you ever thought about what eternal life means? It means forever. It means eternity forever. It means like you live like, let's say you live a life expectancy 70 years away. It means forever. How many? 10,000 times 10,000. A million times a million. Name it. Infinity times infinity. That is how long eternity is. It is a long, stinking time. That just shows you how, how fragile our life is. It shows you, it shows you how, how fast our life is. In fact, I was talking at the funeral and I said that over and over again, the scripture tells us how short life is. It tells us that it's swifter than a runner. It's swifter than a fast ship. It is like the dew that is there in the morning and gone in the morning. That is how fast life is in the scope of eternity. And this is the gift, a part of the gift that, that God offers us through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, it says this, But let me reveal to you the wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. And it will happen in a moment, a blink of an eye. He's talking about when Jesus comes back to take the dead and to take the church and take everyone to be with him. Some will still be alive, some will be in the grave. And this is what he says. He says, And when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed for our dying, listen, our dying bodies, the bodies in this world tainted by sin, must be transformed into that that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. That literally, spiritual death, that all death in this entire world will be swallowed up in the victory of Christ. That it will not be existent anymore. And listen, eternal life begins at salvation. 
Some of us think, oh man, one day, when I die one day, that's when eternal, no, eternal life begins. The kingdom of heaven begins. The promises of God begins the moment that you accept Christ. Many of you that may be in this room accepted Christ last week as your Lord and Savior. Put your trust and faith in him. Went from spiritual death to spiritual life. And your life has been changed, transformed. You are automatically placed into eternal life. So what that literally means is, is that when you take your last breath on earth, you are taking your first breath in heaven. That literally, you go from from your, your physical body literally dies, but your spiritual body literally becomes life at the moment of salvation and never dies. You're taken up straight to be, to be with God. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer, for those that are under the kingdom of heaven. And when we get to heaven, we get to party with Jesus forever. Can I get a what, what? Now listen, let's talk about heaven for a minute. Because a part of this promise of eternal life is heaven. And I know what many of us are thinking. Many of us are thinking, yeah, but when I think of heaven, heaven kind of seems a little boring, you know? I mean, there's all kinds of views of heaven, things that I've thought of heaven. Like, I used to think heaven was like, I would be like floating on a cloud with a halo and like little like weird looking babies with diapers with like harps and like shooting arrows and stuff would be flying by, you know? And then, and then, I, and then I would think, oh man, heaven... Heaven, because people say, oh, it's me, worship of God forever in heaven. And then I say, well, what is that? Like, what is, like, so, like, 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 infinity times infinity years, like, like, I'm just going to be, like, singing some songs, like, raising my hand, like, like, what the heck, man? Like, that's, I'm just going to be in a church service for, like, infinity? Like, that doesn't, like, that's weird. Like, I don't, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if I want that. Like, that's, like, that's kind of boring, you know? And, and, and really, when many of us begin to think about heaven, we begin to think, up these things, and we're like, you know what? Heaven doesn't really sound that amazing to me at all. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. If God created the enjoyments and the pleasures that you get to participate in on this earth, do you not think that this place that the Bible talks about over and over again is the most amazing thing that you could ever see, experience, whatever in your life. Do you not think that that place is going to be a place that is so incredibly amazing and have experiences and pleasures forevermore, as the Bible tells us, that you will be blown away and there is no such thing as boredom when it comes to getting to heaven? No such thing. I mean, what is heaven even going to look like anyway, right? Like, is it just going to look like this big room where, like, all nations, tribes, and tongues are all kind of hanging out together? I mean, like, are we going to have houses? Are we going to, what, like, what is it even going to look like? Well, well, we get a window into what it's going to look like in the Scriptures. If you got your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to go through Revelation 21 and Revelation chapter 22. So if you got your Bibles, open up to the end. There's Bibles uh, under your seats. If you don't have one, you can flip around. Just go to the very end of your Bible and flip back, like, a couple pages, and you'll be there. So we get a glimpse of heaven here in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 1. And I want you to notice what it says. Now listen, let me paint the picture for you. What's happening here is, is that John, the disciple, the apostle John, is writing 
the book of Revelation, from the Isle of Patmos. He's in prison, and, and he's writing this, and God is revealing things to him. An angel of God is revealing the things of God to John, and he is writing them down. Many of these things are, are things for the future. And one of the things that he begins to talk about here in the book, in Revelation 21 and 22, is he begins to talk about this kingdom of heaven, or what heaven is going to be like. And so he begins to explain. Now listen, you got to know this. you got to understand this. you got to wrap your mind around this. John lived a couple thousand years ago. John has never seen a speaker before. John is trying to explain things in the terms and in the ideas that he knows to explain things in. Does that make sense? John's never seen a car before. John's never seen these kind of lights before. The only light that he knew of was the sun and a candle. Or a lantern. So he's trying to explain heaven in his terms and his ways and all this kind of stuff. And I want you to notice things he says. The angel of the Lord begins to reveal to me. He says this. Then, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. So basically what he's saying is, is that the earth that we have now literally is gone away. It's, it's, it's taken away. The Bible tells us it's thrown into the lake of fire. The earth is gone. The old heaven is gone. The heaven that you go to now uh, and, and you, you come out of that into this, this new heaven and this new earth that, that, he is, that he has been preparing for us. Then it says in verse 4. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. The patterns of the world, the old order has passed away. Listen, listen. He says there will be no more tears and eyes. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more death. Can you imagine a world where that is the case? I mean, it's going to be incredible. Then he goes on. Jump over to, uh, jump over to, uh, let's see. How about, uh, how about verse 16? He begins to describe heaven and the, the kind of the city. And he said the city was laid out as a square as long as it was wide. And he measured the city, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be uh, 12,000 stadia in length and wide and, and high and long. Now let me explain this. This is what he's saying. He's basically measuring this out. We know this measurement to be 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles in length. And the Bible goes on to tell us it is 1,400 miles in depth. You say, how big is that? Well, let me tell you how big it is. It is 2 million square miles. It is about the size of Mexico. Might be Mexico. No, just kidding. And <laughs> to put it in perspective for you, Texas is the largest state in our, in our country, in the United States. It is six times larger than the state of Texas. That is how big the heaven is going to be. Just to get your mind around kind of the dimensions of heaven, it's not just a room. I mean, this is a massive piece of property. This is heaven. The Bible tells us it's going to be 1,400 miles high as well, which what we know about that is, is that that is beyond the earth's atmosphere high. That's how high it is. And so we get to see a little bit of the dimensions of heaven. And then he begins to talk about heaven. He talks about, he continues on these verses. He talks about how everything is like pure gold. It is, it is so uh, beautiful and so amazing that it is almost as if it is like glass because of the gold is so pure. There's no impurity in the gold. It is like glass. Everything is laden in gold. Then he goes on um, uh, as you're reading through verse, um, 
16 through 19, he starts talking about all the stones and all the beautiful gems that make up the walls of the cities and, and everything that, 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 is, that is within the city. And then he talks about these gates. There's 12 gates in the city. And each one of these gates are made from a single individual pearl, a gigantic pearl that the gates have been carved out of. I mean, think about how unbelievably stunning this would be. This is like MTV Cribs don't have anything on this. You know what I'm saying? Like P. Diddy's house can't touch like a pearl gate made out of one pearl. Come on, man. And so this is what it's talking about. Like this is the place where you're going to be living, the place you're going to be repping. And then he goes on, he says, it says, nothing impure will enter it. Listen, nothing impure, verse 27, nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, only those people who are part of the kingdom of heaven, only the believers, only the people who put their trust and faith in Jesus. See, it's not because they're pure, but it's because Jesus made them pure. That Jesus died taking their sin debt so that when God looks at their life, he doesn't see them anymore, he sees Jesus. And for every person who's a believer in this room, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. That's the reason the Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That when we're placed in him, then we become the righteousness of God. That we are declared righteous. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. This is the image that we bear. And then he goes on in chapter 22. And he talks about how Eden will be restored. That things will be restored back to the way it was in Eden before sin ever happened. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, no longer, no longer um, will there be any curse the curse has been taken away for sin from Genesis 3. And then, and then he goes on in verse, in verse, uh, in verse 4. He says, and uh, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. We get to see Jesus and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp because, um, or the light of the sun. For the, Lord God's, for the Lord God's gives them light. And we will reign with him forever and ever. We get to reign with him. We are going to be reigning and ruling in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. And listen, when you read throughout the scripture, you see that it is a gigantic party. That's all it is. It is being in like P. Diddy's house times of infinity when a massive party forever, this gigantic party that we get to be a part of, to get to celebrate, to be in the presence of God. How incredible is that going to be? This is what the Bible talks about. This isn't going to be some boring place. This is going to be an amazing place. And this is what God promises us. This is what God promises every person who calls themselves a child of God. Now listen, I want to have just a quick little short conversation. We're going to wrap this thing up. You need to know that eternal life is promised to every person who gives their life to Jesus immediately. I want to have this conversation because some of you struggle with this. You struggle with believing that God has placed you in his kingdom. Because what happens is, is that maybe you slip up. Maybe you do something stupid. And you feel like God doesn't love you. You feel like God has removed his love from you. Let me tell you something. That couldn't be any further from the truth. 
What I'm not talking about here is people who have been placed in eternal life and saying, hey, I'm a Christian so I can do whatever I want to do because I've been placed in the kingdom of heaven. That's not what I'm talking to do. If you use your salvation, if you use your placement in the kingdom of heaven as a license to sin, then you're probably not in the kingdom of heaven. What I'm talking about is the person who's always doubting their salvation and doubting whether they're a part of the kingdom of heaven. Listen, make it right with Jesus. If you put your faith in him, if you repent and turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, he will save you. He gives you eternal life, and you don't have to worry about it. And the reason I say this is because every time we do an invitation, every time there's on Sunday morning there's a bridge across on the front, on the front of the stage, and we do this invitation, and people come to give their lives to Christ, I'm like, dang, that girl that just walked across the bridge, man, we just baptized her two weeks in a high school ministry. I had a full conversation with her about her salvation. She explained everything to me about how God had changed her life. And now she's walking across the bridge again. I don't know why she's walking across the bridge again, but she's already been placed in eternal life. She is already a part of the kingdom of heaven. She doesn't need to get saved again. She is already in. Does that make sense? See, the Bible talks about here that you have been sealed. He has guaranteed you the promise of eternal life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Don't let the enemy place those doubts in you. Now listen, if there is no fruit of the kingdom of heaven in your life, that doubt might be healthy. I think one of the most healthy things for some people to do is doubt their salvation. Because they've been going to church their whole life, they think they're Christians, but they're not. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus. They've never become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And they're hanging on to this eternal life that they've never had to begin with. They need to repent, give their life to Jesus, and become a part of the family of God. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who you have a sensitivity to the Spirit. So every time you mess up, you feel like, I need to go give my life to Jesus again. You don't. He already has your life. You just need to repent of your sin, which means turn from it. Confess your sins to Him. See, when Jesus died on the cross and you put your trust and faith in him, he forgives you of your sin, not just your present sins, not just your past sins, but your future sins. You have been placed into the family of God. He has put his seal upon you. You're a new creation in Christ. He has taken the sin nature away and placed a new nature within inside of you. You still have the flesh, of course, that is battling with the Spirit, but the Spirit is in you, and the fruits of the Spirit are there. And sometimes the reason that maybe you have that question and you're, you're always wrestling with it is because you have such a sensitivity to the Spirit of God in your life that when you do mess up, you feel like, man, I, like, like, oh, man, like, do I even have this relationship right? And so for some of you, I just feel like we need to have this conversation because you need to have the confidence in knowing that Christ, if Christ is in you, he's got you. And this isn't just my opinion, this is scripture. Let me read it to you. Jesus says in John 10, 28, I, Jesus, uh, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And listen, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. In Romans 8, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. He says this, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. This is the whole passage, starting in verse 37. He says, no in, all, no, in all things these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a child of God, then you need to have the confidence of knowing that not only is eternal life promised to you, 
but you are a recipient of it. It is a part of who you are, and you have been changed as a new creation in Christ. Now, that's not everyone in here. The reality is, is that there are some in here who've never made the trade. You don't have eternal life. And you don't have eternal life because you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus. And I was talking at this funeral and the casket was down in front of me and, and, and I said, you know, when I was in high school acting a fool, doing stupid stuff, not living for God, I used to always say, man, I'm young, now's my time to live it up, now's my time to do my thing. When I get old, that's when I'll get my life right with God. And this 18-year-old is in this coffin in front of me. And it's almost like the Spirit of God prompted me, and I said this. But what if you never get old? What if you never get old? I assure you, last Thursday night, Scott from Collins Hill High School didn't know that that was going to be his last night. His last hours. And at 3 a.m., his friend, missing a deer in the road, a freak, hits a tree. And the only hope that he has, or that we have, is the hope that Jesus Christ made a way for us to have access to the Father. So that this life isn't the end. I don't know where you're at tonight, but you do. You do. Tonight, I want to ask you, if you're hanging on to surrender, I also want to ask you tonight, if you've got some things in your life that you need to repent of, maybe it's that wrestling. Maybe it's, man, I've been wrestling with this for so long. What you said tonight is so much comfort to me because I know I'm a believer, but listen, I've, I've been wrestling and wrestling and wrestling, and I just need to hear those encouraging words, the promises of God tonight to bring some comfort to my life. Maybe that's you, and you just need to confess some sins and trust God that he says, if you confess your sins, a promise from God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, here tonight, if you're here and that's you, the band's going to come up. They're going to be doing a song called I Surrender. And I want to ask you to surrender. Some of you need to surrender your life. You need to go from death to life. You need to surrender your kingdom. And some of you, some of you need to just turn from some things that are going on in your life. You need to turn to God. You need to surrender those things over. And so tonight, we're going to close out with this song. And listen, if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, maybe in your life you have never heard, you've never fully understood why Jesus had to come. The reason Jesus had to come is because if Jesus didn't come, there would be no way for you to be rescued from spiritual death. I said this last week at the Back to School Bash. Sometimes we say, well, how can there be this loving God and he send people to hell? The, the flip side of that question is, how can there be a loving God and he allow people to go to heaven? We're all evil. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We all have this at the core of us. We all want to build our kingdom. We all sit on the throne of pride. And so tonight, ask yourself the question. 
Will I be willing to surrender my kingdom for me, for his kingdom? To be able to hang on to the 30,000 promises that he has for you. Because when you surrender, you gain. When you surrender, you gain. So tonight, respond to God. If you're here and you want to give your life to Christ, just say it to him. Hey, God, I don't really even know what to say, but I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to bow on the cross for my sins. You were buried, you rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death, giving me victory. And God, I just, I need to claim that victory. And I, I want a relationship with you. God, save me. It's not about the words you say. It's about the heart posture that you do it in. So now I want to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus. To give it over to him. I don't care who's beside you. I don't care who's around you. That's the reason at the beginning of the night I said, hey, listen, I think God has to speak to you tonight. And I don't want the person beside you distracting you because you needed to hear that tonight. And for others of you, you just need to spend some time praying. You need to surrender some things over to him as we sing this song, I Surrender. So, respond to God accordingly. Father, I just want to lift up these students tonight. I pray that you would be with them, that you would put your finger right on the area of their life that you would like to direct and do surgery in tonight. God, move in them in power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.